Y'all can be seated. Feel welcome to sit where you were standing or move back. So, but you looked good. Thank you to our worship team, as always, for um, not just preparing our hearts, but leading our hearts in our church body in worship. And uh, I just want to give another shout out to y'all, really, man. Thank y'all, not just being here. I mean, I know you like you say that over and over. You know, it's not a rote thing, but I mean, I thank y'all for being here, but thank y'all for like being here over the years. Um, some of y'all have been here more years than others. That's not, I'm not saying that's a good thing or maybe like it's a bad thing. I'm just saying thank y'all uh, because as this is a big day in the life of uh, the church uh, over there, North Park, um, it is a big day for us too, in a way, in that we are turning the page and starting a new chapter, we'll be here a little bit longer, but um, that you know, by tomorrow we will will have a home. We'll have a home, and that is. Uh, I thank y'all, uh, those of y'all who serve in multiple ways. Most of all, I thank Jesus. We all need to be thanking Jesus. I sound like a broken record. We need to thank Him. Uh, starting a church out of nothing is not like milk and cookies, and uh, and y'all have done it, and and more so, Jesus has done it. And uh, I just I thank y'all. We want to give thanks to him. So, um, okay, like after that song, and like thank. I mean, you, you know, one thing about Bellwell, like we, we can clap. Just you know, if anybody wants to clap, anybody want to? Um, I know it's not like you know, and I'm a sports guy. I mean, I know it's not like you know football and all that. But like, you know, when um, Lynn and I were talking about this, I'm already getting off track. What were we talking about? Um, as much as people like. Uh, Praise God for victories in sports. And then when we see like salvation happen and we see like God work and like God move in a church or God move on mission, we ain't got to sit still. You ain't got to sit still at Bellwether, okay? You're sitting still. No, I mean, well, I'm going to work on y'all. Like we can stand, we can praise. And uh, we talk about this in staff. But as much as we applaud and rah-rah and, uh, and I know you Jernigan up there. I see you talking to your better half. I mean, the way we love sports... We want to love Jesus more and the work of Jesus in a place, in a city. Cornerstone got me fired up. I don't know about y'all, but anyway. So, um, where am I? Okay, the sermon series that, uh, that I've been doing, today's the last day, and I based it on a question that I've gotten asked like, you know, probably a hundred times in eight years, and that's, what happens when I die, Pastor? I mean, I know we go to heaven or maybe go to, but we're like, what happens? And so we've been looking at that at different angles. We've been looking at it from, from the moment we pass out of this life. We're with the Lord. We've been looking at it from resurrection of the body. And last week we talked about uh, such a popular seeker-friendly topic, judgment. Um, but, uh, but I hope it was handled in a graceful way. Um, and today, I'm going to close. We could go on eight, ten weeks on this. But really, I just want to hit a couple main things. And today I'm talking about our final home which is kind of fitting we're talking about home today and our home. But what is our final home? And um, I'd ask you all first off to think about what you think your home is or where you think your home is. Or, you know, home is where the heart is. Where, where is home for you? Where is home? Somebody asked me uh, this week who I just met that very question. She said, where is home for you? And immediately I said, well, actually, New Albany. So mom and dad will love that. They're here today. New Albany. Like, I caught myself. I was like, well, actually, I've been in Jackson for eight, nine years now. So Jackson's home. But 
you know, I mean, I think about just home. I think about my past, and I think about my future, my present. I think about my future. So, you know, what is what is home for you? It may be the small town or big town you were raised. It may be here. It may, I don't know. But what what is home? And we have this a strong sense of home. Do you get homesick for somewhere? Do you get homesick? Um, my parents can tell you I don't get homesick often, but uh, I got an opportunity. I didn't know where I was going to tell this. Well, I'm going to tell it. Um, I had an opportunity to uh, travel and study, quote, study, uh, overseas in Europe for a year in college. And I uh, didn't get homesick much. Uh, I was doing other things. But one time I was in um, Hamburg, Germany, random place. Uh, uh, not a great city. You don't have to go visit. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's okay, but it's not like, you know, Paris, something like that. Hamburg, Germany, and um, I had gone on an overnight train, and I got up that morning, and I was in the train station. I had to get some cash, you know. And so I don't know if y'all ever felt this, you know, put the card in, and like praying, you know, that money comes out. I don't know if y'all ever felt that growing up, but maybe feel it now. I don't know. But, you know, praying, hey, and it, nothing came out. Like, you know, insufficient funds. Like, try another one, insufficient funds. So I'm in Hamburg, Germany. I got a little cash in my wallet. But, you know, technically, you know, out. So what do I do? I, um, I call Dad. And uh, I was like, Dad, you know, you know, you know, this and that happened. I had to buy books, you know, for school, something like that. Um, and uh, so he, uh, he's like, no problem. And the thing was, I called at Mom and Dad's house, and nobody picked up. And I remember it was a Saturday morning. It was actually like Saturday afternoon there. And so I immediately, I well, they're at grandmothers, and so I called grandmothers, and they were, and they were sitting around eating Saturday breakfast, which growing up we used to always do, and cooking biscuits and everything, and so dad was like, you know, no problem, but you know, not again, you know, ha ha, um, but he wired me some cash, uh, and he did do it several other times later, but um, he wired me some cash, and anyway, but I was going away from him, I didn't, it was like, you know, a stopover, and I was driving, I was thinking, I really got homesick then, because I was thinking about my family, you know, sitting around the breakfast table, and, you know, just this real sense of just home, um, and I was blessed to have that, I mean, I thank mom and dad, you know, grandmother, and for giving me that, that, that feeling of home. Now, some people don't have that, and some people, like, uh, don't have a strong sense of home where they grew up, but ultimately, they'll make a home somewhere else, and I heard about this this week, too. Um, this is, uh, you know, like, if you don't have, I don't know, strong family roots, you're going to find them somewhere. And, you know, the TV show, I always loved it, Cheers. You know, you want to go where everybody knows your name. Well, I was, um, you know, I, I was actually at this bar uh, this, this week. You're like, man, you're always doing these bar stories. But anyway, don't, don't worry about that. But it was in Memphis, and um, I was with some other pastors. So that makes you feel better. But it was this bar, I forget the name, I think it's called Flying Saucer. You know, think what you want of that. But it, uh, they had all these beers all over the world. And they had like 300 beers on tap. And here's, here's the point coming up to it. If you drank 200 different beers, I mean, obviously not in one night or one week or something. But in the course of your life, if you drank over 200 different beers at this bar, you got a plate. Okay? And you got a plate that was hung on uh, the wall. And so you go in there, and there are hundreds of plates with the name and with the date of their 200th beer. Different beer now, you know, all over the world. And so anyway, I was, taught, I was actually at a pastor's conference, and I was with some pastors, and we went in there. And um, I was, there was this young guy who was the uh, son of a pastor, 
uh, who lived in Memphis, and afterwards they're like, you know, my son went in there and he's got his name on a plate up on the wall, and uh, they're like, you know, the, the things you can be proud about with your kids. And, but then this pastor said, you know, it is phenomenal, this place. He said, this place, this bar, gives a greater sense of home than any church I've ever been in. Because if you get your name on that plate, I mean, it, it's like a home to you. And you come in, and everybody knows your name, and, you know, you talk about, well, I had this beer, that beer. But she's like, the, the sense of community in that place, I mean, it is greater and stronger than, you know, many churches. And I, I totally agree with that. And I was thinking about that for Bellwether. And, you know, do people have a sense of home here? Or, you know, are they looking at a bar, you know, for their sense of, of home and of support and encouragement and, like, coming in and everybody knowing your name? The thing is, and especially for us in the South, especially for Bible, Eudora Welty said the most important thing for a Southerner, or maybe said for a Mississippian, is a sense of place. And that is so true. Um, you know, talk about, you know, church growth and all that. That happens when people feel at home, when people know each other's name, when people are, are welcoming. I mean, they just, people love it. We crave relationships. We crave home. And we get homesick. And if we don't have a home, we're going to find a home somewhere. So I just want us to think about that. And then I want to ask a question, you know, do you think of home as anywhere in the world because you have Jesus in your heart? Or is your home like Jackson? Or is it, you know, New Albany? Or is it, you know, wh- wherever it is, are you like, I can go anywhere, anywhere and be home because I have Jesus, and that's enough. I may know loneliness, but I'll never be alone because I have Jesus in my heart. Do you think that way? Do you think of your final home as heaven, heaven and beyond? Do you think of your home as heaven? Billy Graham came out with a book last year. You know what he titled it? Nearing Home. Nearing Home. And it's not because he's like, you know, putting down roots in Asheville, North Carolina you know, where he lives. He's nearing home. And home for him is with Jesus, with the Lord. So I, I asked that question for y'all, and you don't have to, like, think that now because it, it's a challenge for me, but that is how we're supposed to think with Jesus in our life. We, we can think and live like I can be anywhere, and when Jesus is in my heart, I'm, I'm good. I, it's home. Or, and I know we'll have our final home in eternity with him. That's how we need to think. I want to show this, though, not just from what I say or what you should believe, but what from Scripture says. And I'm going to read, I'm going to do a little different thing today. We're not going to look at one passage. We're going to look at three passages that are written by three different men talking about our final home, our place where the church will be together, nations, tongues, tribes, worshiping Jesus. You know, what will that be like? Where is that what is that deal? And do you even believe in it? And do you even hope for it? So I want to look at three men, and it would be Paul, John, and Peter. Different men, but what they wrote about their final home. So there are three passages, and the first one is Romans 8. And I'm going to read verse 18 through 25. And it's just, I use these three passages because they're different people, but yet they're saying the same thing. Coincidence? I don't know. We'll see. Romans 8, starting with verse 18. Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, 
but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. Some of y'all may be saying, what is he talking about there? Creation, labor, birth. It's, um, he doesn't spell it out. But this is a very important passage about our final home. And this, the verse of uh, verse 22 is the key verse. We know the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. That when sin entered the world, I mean like all of creation, all of matter changed and started going down. And then when Jesus literally changed matter and the physics of creation, like what are you talking about there? Well, his body was dead and then like molecules started working again and he came back to life. Like that has never happened before then. It has never happened since. It will happen again when our bodies are raised up and our molecules start working again and they come together and our bodies are raised. We talked about that, that heaven is not just an ethereal state and that's for eternity, that when Jesus comes again, bodies will rise too and that creation, all of creation, this world matters to God. It matters so much that our final home is not heaven. Hear me, our final home is earth. That heaven is going to be a resting place and we're going to see that in a minute about time and heaven, but that Jesus will return, we know that, and the heavens and the earth will unite. We will be raised if we are not here when he comes. The dead will be raised, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And what that can mean, too, Paul hints at this with creation. It's like now, after the resurrection, creation is like literally pregnant, that something happened, new life was born, and that we are awaiting its full birth when Jesus comes again, that there will be a new creation and we will all be together and we all be like family and our bodies will be, will be good. Body, like I've talked about, bodies that we could only dream about. Or we can't even dream about because they're like, you know, so hot and like stuff. You know, every, all of that. We got it coming. But all of creation too. I mean, I, you know, I think about beautiful scenes. I think about waterfalls down in Honduras. I think about the ocean. I think about mountains. I mean, we cannot fathom how it will be recreated. And we'll live here forever and ever. Now, what else will it be like? Like, you can say, okay, great. And I can think of beautiful scenes. But, like, specifically, what is this place like? What is our final home like? Well, let's look at someone else's writing, John, in Revelation. And this is going to be up on screen, I believe. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 1 through 4. And again, different, different man uh, writing when Jesus shows John uh, on the Greek island of Patmos what the future, what our final home will be. And here's what John sees, and here is what we will one day see if Christ is at home in our hearts. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
see the home of God among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And the first things have passed away. What will this place be like? What will the new creation, what will the new heaven and earth be like? Well, first, it's a city. And I always say this. If you don't like living in a city, you're not going to like heaven. If you don't like living with different people that speak different languages and different tribes and tongues, and that, you ain't going to like heaven or heaven forever, the new heaven, the new earth. It's a city, the new Jerusalem. Tim Keller likes to say, the Bible starts in a garden, it ends in a city. So true. Coming down from heaven, coming on earth. And I love this passage, verse 3. The home of God is with mortals. We talked about the Holy Spirit earlier. We talked about Holy Spirit blows in places all over the world, blows in churches. But we're not fully in the presence of God yet. Heaven we will be. And what we can't even imagine is when God is at home with us, when he makes his home here. And it goes further that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more tears. There will be no more suffering. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. I don't, I don't know what you hope for in life. Uh, you may hope for money. You may hope for a new job, new career, uh, marriage, child. I don't know what your hope is. But I, I say this over and over again. If you have Christ and he's at home in your heart, you miss out on nothing. You may hope for beauty. You may hope for grace. You may hope for athleticism. Stat, you know, name it. If Jesus has his home here, you will miss out on nothing. Nothing. And there will be no pain and no suffering and no mourning. And I know it's like, yeah, but Monday's coming. Well, heaven's coming, okay, on earth. And Jesus is coming. And that's a lot more important than tomorrow. Eternity. Holy city together. One other passage I want to read, and this is in Second Peter. Again, different guy. And I hope you list these passages. And I hope you'll, like, maybe sit down today, this afternoon, or this week, and, like, read them in conjunction because, you know, it's, like, it's so cool to me. They're saying the same thing, but in different ways. And, you know, there are three different men. And it's, it's almost, it's systematic. It's a theology term. J.J. loves that. Anyway, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. Different guy, Peter, writing to the church in Rome. And here's what he says to some people who are suffering like worse than we can ever fathom. Peter says, 2 Peter 3, verse 8. It says, do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that, I love this, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness is at home. Peter, talking to the church in Rome, and again, a day is like a thousand years, or a thousand years is like a day. Love that verse. Some people always quote that verse. It's 2 Peter 3, 8, just so you know. But, you know, you get asked this all the time. Like, why won't the Lord come today? You know, but 
Man, just all the pain, you know, Boston, Syria, we may be getting another war. I mean, every, why didn't the Lord just come down? This passage is key to that. This verse, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. We don't know the mind of the Lord, but he chose in a very specific way to send Jesus to start his church, and then Acts 1-8, that we should go into all the world preaching Christ, drawing people to Christ, and that's taking some time. It still hasn't happened. There are people groups, not necessarily nations, but people groups, language groups, that still have no um, idea of the gospel, still the gospel does not be proclaimed, still don't know the name of Jesus, and it is up to us as the church to go and to proclaim. Why? Because of this verse. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to have an opportunity. So someone like, hey, why are we going to India like in November? Well, there's actual people groups that haven't heard the gospel, and we're going to be the church. We need to go, and we don't need to be afraid, and we need to preach the gospel. It's not just like, hey, get me out of debt or help me not have sex in Jackson, Mississippi. Self-help type stuff. It's preaching the gospel. It's preaching the gospel here. It's preaching the gospel all over the world. And in terms of time, I I don't know when God's going to come back. He's going to come back. But, you know, in heaven, a loved one you may have just lost, when he comes again, it may have just been like five minutes, maybe 30 minutes. I mean, there's no concept of time. All we know is he will return. And what do we need to do until then? Yes, we need to proclaim the gospel. But even more so, Peter goes into this. Leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Leading lives of holiness and godliness. That's how we can start. That's what the church can do. Encourage, support, edify, lead a life of don't be in debt. Hey, stop the sex and the addictions and all that. Leading lives of holiness and godliness. And then I love this, waiting for and hastening the day of the Lord. We wait, but why does he throw that word, hasten? You know what hasten means? Hasten actually means bringing it about. Hasten means let's, let's get it going and, and let's help God bring his kingdom on earth. Hasten it. So we talked about going and proclaiming the gospel. We talked about like living godly lives, you know, devotional time, knowing God's word. But there's something else, and this is what I really want to hit on, and we're going to talk about this in the next three weeks with a sermon series as we go. Your lives matter. Your work matters. I mean, I hate my job. Your work matters. Uh, your, your marriage matters. Uh, your singleness matters. Uh, your, your hobbies matter. Your life matters. Like, yeah, I know it matters to God. No, I'm talking about your example in the world matters. How you lead your life, how you go, as we go, in work. Whether it's businessman, salesman, doctor, lawyer, engineer, you know, looking for a job. How we do the things we do matter to God, because he loves us, but to the kingdom, as an example. How you go to church matters. You know, do do we have time in prayer before we come here? Like, pray, hey, Holy Spirit, be in this place. Hey, Holy Spirit, speak to people. Your devotional life matters. Your work for the kingdom matters. I'm not talking about work physically, but spiritually and encouraging and one-on-one, you know, in your jobs and in your going to work and in your going to a meeting with us. It matters. And we forget that. That's why I'm hitting it so hard. We hasten the coming of the Lord. 
That's what we talk about. Hey, if you don't think that, I, I don't know if you're going to be, I don't know if we're going to really roll well here because our mission statement is raising the kingdom. So we believe we can raise the kingdom of God. And it's not just like mission work, building houses. It's as we go in our lives to hasten it. Our final home. These passages spell out for now what it is, what it looks like, and why it matters for today. And here's the deal, man. Some, some, folks, still, um, some folks still can't get locked in. A lot of you will leave it. Y'all, y'all can't. It, it's, it's okay, man. I understand. It's hard for me to get locked in. I want us to be locked in. I'm talking about locked into the kingdom, locked into a heart change, and my final home is with Jesus here, and my life matters in bringing it about. And instead, our concept of home is, well, um, you know, our home where we grew up, or our home now, or some, you know, special group, or maybe it's even a Bible study, or, or it's a church. What I'm saying is we make idols of homes. Instead of saying our, our final home, our true home, will be with the Lord. It'll be better than anything else. And I wait for that day, as Peter says, but I can hasten it too. And it's just, we don't have the idols give you an example of this a uh, conference I was at in Memphis this preacher's wife uh, her name was Jerry Dunham uh, wife of Maxie Dunham some of y'all know uh, of him but you know he was called into ministry and they went place after place uh, different from Mississippi to California to Memphis to Nashville to Kentucky all over and uh, met her in Georgia and she got married and she realized like you know well he's called so I'm called and she said, you know, I was always so sad when we'd move because I'd have to leave my family. And I left my family in Georgia, who I love so much. And she said, finally, I laid that idol, and she used the idol, on the altar because I knew. I knew I'd be with them again forever and ever. I knew, I, you know, we weren't going to be separated forever. I, I knew that, I mean, can you, can you fathom that way of thinking? Like, it's okay. Because we're going to be together forever in glory. And that's, that's, how I want, that's, that's how I want my life to be. That's how I want our life to be. And then she said something else. She said, and then we'd go to a place in ministry and, you know, we'd serve there and we'd, we'd, you know, build a church or, you know, we'd get involved in this church and this community. And then he'd be called elsewhere and we'd have to leave again. And I'd be sad. And because she said, you know, I'd, I'd had a home here. And then she said, I made a change that, you know, I'll be sad, but... Home is where I'm going. For us at Bellwether, I don't know if anybody's sad leaving here. Some of you may. We're going home in a little while. We're going home. We're going home. And she said, I just always think the few, that's, that's home. I'm going home. And then she said, and I know that I'll go to my final home, my permanent home. So I think about that with us. I don't know if you move or change houses or, you know, change relationships or change, you know, there's just change. And it's so easy to think of a home and lift it up as an idol and missing family and loved ones. And we'll be with them forever. And God has a final home for us. C.S. Lewis talks about this final home. Uh, There's a great couple books, Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, many of us have read them and, and loved them. And the very end of the last book, book seven, is called The Last Battle, which is kind of a depiction of Revelation. And, uh, and I'm going to read you a couple of the last paragraphs of the last book. You're like, thanks, you gave me the ending. Now, you know the ending already, but uh, C.S. Lewis just says it in a, very, in a beautiful way. 
The last chapter is um, these children are in, are in heaven. Uh, and heaven is coming to earth. And they see all these people, these loved ones. Uh, they see their parents from a distance. They see countries and kingdoms and waterfalls and just spectacular, spectacular world. And they're like, Narnia has never been like this. The Chronicles of Narnia. We've, ne- we've never seen it in such glory. We've never seen all the people that we knew on all of our adventures. And they've come together. And we're here. And it's beautiful. And then Aslan comes up. Aslan the lion. And Aslan is the Christ figure. The Lord of Lords. And he talks to them. And he says, and so I read. He said, oh, dear girl, you don't look so happy anymore. And Lucy, the girl, says, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan. You've sent us back after every adventure. And he says, no fear of that. Have you not guessed? There was a real railway accident, Aslan said. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream has ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. For us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, all their adventures in Narnia, had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. We get so bogged down and so burdened by the here and now, and we have very real problems. But when you begin to think about eternity, how your lives matter now, and what awaits us in a final home, and it's chapter one, and each chapter is better than the one before, I believe it changes how you live today, and I pray that for all of us. And how does that happen? One simple verse, Ephesians 3, 17. I believe it's going to be up on the screen, but it's very simple. It says... Let Jesus be at home in your heart. Your final home begins with Jesus having a home in your life. Does he? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I pray Jesus would truly and fully be at home in our life. Um, I pray for the folks who've said, well, he is, but, you know, that was, was way back when, and I may not even know him now. I pray for the folks um, who he just, he just may not be at all, who, who struggle and who, who are burdened by the here and now. And I pray for our future that we would see the, the hope of our final home and what it is about and how it is wonderful and how it matters for today. And that we wouldn't even just live lives, well, that's great, but, you know, I got this week and I got these struggles and I got this kid who won't get it together got this marriage is just broken i got you know we got but i believe we get our future we get our today 
And so I pray that we would get our future and we would know that, man, our faith is a future religion because it is all about what comes before. It's all about eternity and it, it is so good and it is so beautiful and you are so graceful. So I pray we know your grace and your beauty and your love and our home. In Jesus' name.